Welcome to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. We tell the stories of the pioneers and innovators building businesses in hemp across the U.S. What is it about hemp uh, that is just has people going crazy? Like I said, I get calls from people who've never farmed a day in their life and they want to open a 200-acre hemp farm. By now, most hemp is in the ground and beginning to sprout. For some, it may be their first year while others, like this week's guest, have been at it for several. Tara Caton of the esteemed Rodale Institute discusses what she's learned over the past several years in cultivating hemp, how it may best fit into a farmer's crop rotation, and how the Institute's research will benefit farmers. And I'm co-host Cameron McIntosh, and this is the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. Welcome to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast. Can you just introduce yourself? So I'm Tara Keaton from the Rodale Institute, and I'm the industrial hemp project lead and senior technician. So here on the farm, I oversee all of the research activities and day-to-day data collection and fieldwork for all the research projects here. And for those that don't know, what is the Rodale Institute? The Rodale Institute is an organic agricultural research and education farm in Kutztown, Pennsylvania. And we have 333 acres here, and we conduct solutions-based science to support our mission that healthy soil equals healthy food equals healthy people and ultimately a healthier planet. What brought you to hemp and what brought you to Rodale Institute? Yeah, sure. Uh, So I'll start with coming to the Rodale Institute. Um, I had received my bachelor's in biology and ecology at Kutztown University, so I was, you know, used to and familiar with the area. And then I had gone to Bucknell University and got a master's in botany. And right out of my master's, I came into the institute as a technician and pretty quickly advanced to the lead technician. Um, And around that time is when we started talking about hemp. That's when it kind of came up on the farm bill as the potential to study it for research. And uh, we kind of thought that There was a lot of potential here from what we knew historically about hemp in Pennsylvania and how it was a major cash crop in Pennsylvania for more than 250 years prior to its ban. And because of the way it grows and because of the products you can get out of it, uh, we thought that it had the potential to fit into a regenerative organic model and accomplish things like diversifying your crop rotation, enhancing soil health, reducing tillage, and increasing farmer income. So prior to... Uh, Rodale, did you have any experience or knowledge regarding hemp? I did not. Um, Right around the time I got out of school and showed up on the farm, that was the first time I started hearing about people talking about hemp. Um, And and I knew that there was some history uh, in Pennsylvania, especially. I mean, there's some towns and and things named after hemp. And so I, I knew it existed. And and of course, I've heard of products being on the shelf. But this was also coming to Rodale my first time in agriculture, so it was really the first time I, I was hearing about it as a crop. So that was around two, 2014 or so then, I'm assuming? Yeah, I, yeah, I came in, at, in 2016. So what was the initial uh, research path and um, you know, what kind of things were you looking at and then how has that evolved? Yeah, sure. So, of course, we just had to start to figure out how we were going to grow it and if we could grow it based on the varieties that we could get a hold of. Um, That first year was pretty tough uh, to figure out where to find trusted seed sources and where to get them from. 
and then of course uh dealing with all the the legal red tape and varieties and seeds getting held up in customs for months at a time and not knowing the storage conditions of those seeds while they were there uh, we didn't get planted until july our first year and of course that's a lot later than we would want to get seeds in the ground and also we had some issues with germination um, and then also seed storage and reusing for the second year because we didn't know of the storage conditions during that that transit as we imported them from other countries and so that was a challenge so we what whatever varieties we could get we focused mostly on fiber and dual purpose seed fiber varieties to um, just try as many as we can. So we did a variety trial. We tried uh, four varieties. We focused mostly on the fiber varieties for our second trial. So our second trial is a weed suppression trial. And that's looking at incorporating industrial hemp into a five-year organic grain rotation to act as a dual summer cover crop and cash crop. So it, it's comparative to sorghum sedan grass as a summer cover crop, weed suppression cover crop. Uh, but of course, it's of higher value than the sorghum sedan grass. So we're hoping it could also double as a cash crop. Um, and so we did that the first year. Our normal rotation, um, it looks usually something like uh, a four-year typical rotation here at the Institute in our farming systems trial is something like cor corn with a following with a rye cover crop, followed by oats, followed by rye again soybean, wheat, then some hairy vetch to fix some nitrogen, followed by corn. Um, and in this rotation, one of the struggles, and this is a rotation that we've been using for a long time. Our farming systems trial is over 40 years old. It's the longest running side-by-side -side comparison of organic and conventional grain cropping in North America. And so we have a lot of experience with that rotation and we've played with it many times. Uh, the one struggle that we always have and one that we have trouble convincing uh, farmers transitioning to do is organic oats. And so in this rotation, we substituted oats with hemp. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so how is it, um, you know, what are the results looking like so far? Have you been able to kind of make any um, assumptions or takeaways? Yeah. So we saw some great results in the first year. We grew industrial hemp, a fiber variety that grew about between 10 and 12 feet tall for us, uh, side by side to sorghum sedan grass to compare um, their uses as, as uh, summer or weed smother crops. And we, you know, it grew very tall in within three days, the hemp was germinated. Within 10 days, it was hip height. Within 30 days, it was six feet tall. The weeds didn't have a chance. And so you would walk into like this forest of hemp and sorghum uh, and there was nothing growing underneath on the on the floor. So wow. That was just really incredible to see. And then, of course, we want to know if there's a continued effect that hemp has, because that, that's a cover crop is is providing a continued effect in your rotation. It's not only benefiting that crop, it's benefiting all the crops that follow it, um, depending on where you put it in the rotation. And so following the hemp, we put in our rye cover crop and we had split the field in half at that time into uh, rotational no-till, uh, which is what we normally practice, which is we're still using tillage to establish our cover crop to get that good seed to soil contact that you need for a cover crop. Uh, and then we try to no-till plant our cash crops, soybeans or corn into rye or vetch. And so that's something we've been practicing for a long time. However, 
because of hemp's ability to suppress weeds so well, and because of their root structure that's getting down into the soil, breaking up that compaction layer, we thought that maybe that industrial hemp could work as uh, a complete no-till system. And so we did that on the half of our field where we planted the rye directly into the hemp and sorghum stubble. Uh, the following spring, we rolled down all of the rye with our roller crimper, and we directly seeded soybeans behind. Oh, wow. And yeah, so we we saw incredible results this last year with our soybean yields. Uh, we know that last year was a particularly tough year in the Northeast with the amount of precipitation that we got more than double our average annual precipitation. And, uh, you know, so a lot of farmers had complete loss of their soybean crops. And even in areas on our farm, we had lost crop. And, um, you know, the average, the national average was 52 bushels per acre. And our hemp in our hemp or in our soybeans in our hemp field were well above 70 bushels per acre. Wow. wow. And what, what exactly do you attribute that to? We attribute this to hemp being in there the year before, as well as sorghum. They work very similarly in being able to fight those weeds because you know when you're when you're killing weeds yeah you can shade out the weeds that are growing at the time during the season but you're also suppressing weed seeds in the soil seed bank Mm, right so um just just for our listeners for those that don't know what is no-till and then what is sort of the uh, the crimper system? No till system is to is to reduce that tillage. So tillage is usually increased in organic farming uh, to fight weeds, and tillage is is plowing um, anywhere from four inches to eight inches, even deeper. Um, so you're really turning over that soil, that entire top biological living layer of soil, and you're turning it over. Um, every year, year after year. And um, that's usually the best way that farmers can kill the early weeds and create a nice, even soil to get their seeds planted. And, um, and we think that, you know, there's obviously some, there's some downsides to that. If you are completely turning over and disrupting that entire biological system in the top of your soil column, uh, there's going to be an effect down the line of that. And so we would like to see us going through the fields less and less each season. Um, we, we would try to reduce that tillage in any way. And our results from our farming systems trial have showed some negative impact um, in our soil health from tillage. And so for us, we have been working on a long time. The, in 2008, we had split our farming systems trial in half to a conventional system where you're using tillage every season to a rotational no-till system where we're tilling to establish the cover crop, uh, but we're no-till planting our cash crops. And so we've been doing that uh, since 2008 in the farming systems trial. And so what that looks like is you will plow your field to plant either your vetch before corn or your rye before soybeans, and you will get that cover crop. And in the spring, you will use our roller crimper um, so this is something we had designed a long time ago, and now you can get them um, on the market. And they basically, it's a, a large steel roller that goes in the front of your tractor, and it has these chevron-shaped ridges that basically break or bend the stems of the cover crop in two places to ensure that it's going to kill them. And so it's rolling them down, and it's basically just creating a mulch 
in which you plant your cash crop into. And we we have a system set up where the roller's on the front and it balances out the weight with the cedar being right on the back. We use the Amonasim drill and that's right on the back. And so our soybeans are, and corn are being planted as we're rolling down that cover crop. Um, so it's a kind of a seamless system. You're ensuring with the design of the roller crimper that you're killing that cover crop and that it will will die within you know the first week or so. And then um, you're planting your cash crop directly behind you. Uh, in the in the last four years, uh, what cultivars or varieties of hemp have worked best? Yeah, so we definitely have limited experience. We've tried at this point four different varieties. We actually have tried six. Um, two didn't even make it past germination, and I really think that was that first year, and that had to do with importation and and storage and conditions of being held at customs. And so those varieties are ones that I've heard a lot about and they are they have good reviews. And so those were the Benico and the Tigra, but those just didn't germinate for us. And I really, but um, I don't necessarily contribute that to the varieties themselves. Um, and then we had very good luck with uh, the Santhica 27. That's that's our fiber variety that we're really counting on. And that is the one that we use. We tried it in our variety trial, as well as that is the variety that we use in our weed suppression trial. And, uh, but we could not get that seed in year two. <laughs> so we had to switch to a different fiber variety. Um, and we use Anka for that. And um, that worked as well. And we, we tried that in our variety trial in the second year. And so uh, for this this year, uh, we're, we're redoing the wheat suppression trial a second time in a different field. And um, we, you know, we're hoping to go back to the Santhico, which we did get this year. Um, but we're also going to try the Anka as well as this year. A new one for us uh, that we've heard a lot of good things about is the Futura 75. The, it, they're calling it a triple threat. Uh, where it, you know, it can be a dual purpose fiber seed variety, uh, but it also has a low level of CBD as well. So uh, kind of trying that out and see see what it does. I know a lot of people like that one. And so we've also inserted that into our second weed suppression trial. Um, and then our seed variety, our oil seed variety that uh, we've been using every year, this will be our third year, and we're using that for a trial all, all on its own, uh, is the Canda variety. Um, from out of Canada, from Parkland Industrial Hemp Growers. And uh, that one has been producing beautiful grain for us. Uh, but up until this point, we hadn't actually been able to harvest for grain with limited access to partners that are doing it and also just machinery, equipment, all of those things that come along with having to harvest hemp as a grain. We are not there yet. Um, so this year, I'm really excited. We are using that Canda that has grown so well for us the last two years in a nutrient management trial to try to better understand the nutrient requirements of hemp. Um, and so Canda is what we'll be using for that. You're not planting any CBD varieties, are you? Uh, not on our location here. Uh, obviously for logistics of, uh, you know, I don't know how well it's defined yet as to how far apart they need to be. Obviously you have your CBD varieties that are feminized and your industrial fiber and food varieties that are not feminized. So you do not want them in close proximity. And with most of our fields being within the same 100 acres, we just didn't want to risk it. Also, at this time, we do not feel, one, that there's enough information uh, or that we feel that confident in the fact that CBD production has the potential to fit well into a regenerative organic model at this point in time. You know, for many reasons, 
the fiber varieties and, and maybe the dual purpose varieties are working for us because of how we're using it as a weed suppression cover crop. And obviously you want to plant those things really tight to be able to get that good cover to suppress those weeds. And CBD is just that's not produced in that way. Would Rodale ever consider breeding a line of like Pennsylvania appropriate certified hemp seed for distribution to its partners? Or is that not really something that you guys would do? I would say it's not in our five-year goal because we, at the end of the day, we are researchers and we know that there is still so much to learn about this plant. And so really to have the resources and, and really just the time to also have uh, an operation like that isn't really on our list um, as of right now. We we really still, and to feel confident in doing that, um, you know, we want to maintain our integrity as a research institution and we want to feel confident in the research we're doing before we would go ahead and, and do something like that. And have you ever done that with another with another crop? We have not. We have a very small production area and that is mostly for our our CSA, or we call it our ASC program, where we're taking agriculture and supporting local communities who do not have access to organic uh, produce. And so, yeah, so most of what we do isn't for profit. Well, we are a non-profit, but um, our our production area is relatively small. And so we really haven't gotten into that. Um, But I did want to hop back real quick before I get off of it about the CBD. Even though we are not doing it on site here, we do have a partner farm that we consult. And this is the Pocono Organics Farm at the Pocono Raceway. And so we uh, started a partnership last year to launch an organic farm up at the Pocono Raceway. And we have been consulting them on on how to do that in an organic system. They wanted to begin growing hemp up there. And so they're producing hemp under our permit. Um, And then we're conducting kind of a mirrored nutrient management trial as to the one we're going to begin this year here on the farm with that Canda variety I mentioned. We're also kind of mirroring that trial, looking at the fertility requirements and different organic uh, management practices for CBD varieties. So Tara, this is another sort of um, nerdy question, but um, have you looked at, or do you guys intend to look at um, how hemp, uh, you know, it said that it fixes nutrients. Um, you know, have you, have you looked at those? What micro and macronutrients is hemp fixing? Yeah. So we're definitely continuing to monitor that. And like I said, we're looking at the entire rotation. So we want to look at what's happening at every part of the rotation. So, you know, we'll have all of the results at the end of the four years. And so we're going into our third year. So in 2020, we expect to have those full results of what that's looking like, Um, as well as in our variety trials, growing hemp in the same field. Uh, we, We did two years in our first year, and we definitely saw declines in the second year. And we don't know if it's because uh, of uh, the the feeding of the hemp or if it's because we had a super wet year last year. So we're doing that again and we're moving it around to different fields. And, and, and that's why we also added the nutrient management trial. So the nutrient management trial is to really understand what is hemp's fertility needs? What does it need in the soil? What is it taking out of the soil? What is it fixing? Uh, what is it doing for the physical and biological aspects of the soil as well? And so you know, that's what this trial is looking at. And um, so hopefully after after this, this is a two-year trial, we'll be able to get a little bit of a better idea. As of right now, I hear a lot of people comparing industrial hemp food and fiber varieties to corn, say, and CBD varieties is something like tomatoes as to what it needs. 
we know that's not completely accurate. Um, so really just getting to understand how hemp grows on, in our soil and our climatic conditions. And yeah, so I think, I think we're not there yet is, is my right, answer. Right. And then do you also at Rodale, have you studied or do you have an idea of what, you know, what strains of mycorrhizae are present in your fields? Have you looked at that at all? We, yeah, we have not done this for hemp yet. It's definitely of interest, uh, but we do have several studies and especially in our uh, vegetable, we're, we're doing a project right now with uh, onions and the allium leaf miner, which is a huge issue here in Pennsylvania. We are looking at an association between the arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi and the allium leaf miner pest and different beneficials. And there's a, an apparent uh, relationship there. And so, yeah, we have been collecting roots for that project and staining them and counting. And so we're mostly looking for the arbuscular mycorrhizal. Have you guys planted this year yet? Uh, we have. We have planted. Uh, we are about two weeks out from for our nutrient management trial, our oilseed variety. And we just got our second weed suppression trial with hemp and sorghum planted last week, as well as the research area at the Pocono site with the CBD hemp plants transplants up there is anything peaking yet yeah i mean all everything is germinated uh like i said three four days it's all out everything looks to be coming up just fine and we'll we'll see as we continue they're still small at this point but they have gotten their first set of leaves and so we're feeling really confident that we're gonna have a really great stand and uh from your experience over the last four years um, what is the best time to plant? Um, so like I said, the first year we didn't start till July and we still were harvesting within 80 days. Uh, so we are still getting that mid August harvest. And so that's really interesting to see how the hemp adapted in that way. And we still got plants up to 12 feet tall within, within an 80 day growing period. And so that, that was really crazy to see. So I guess we don't know because it's not what we expected, but in, in year two, we planted uh, end of May and we harvested beginning of August. That's a normal season. That's what you would expect, um, especially if you're comparing it to something like sorghum Sudan grass. That's kind of what we're going off of, you know, but it's really hard to say. I mean, it, it worked equally <laughs> fine in both years. And obviously, we it's going to depend on the different cultivars that we're using. So, you know, that's still something we're learning. And it's really going to depend on our weather patterns and, and our soil as to you know, they could suggest on the seed pack when, when you want to harvest them. And it's, it's not quite perfect uh, because they weren't bred to grow here. So, um, you know, we definitely saw some things like losing, dropping seed in our, our Canda oilseed variety. That one, I, you know, I have a trend line of, of what's happening to the grain production and yields over time. And they definitely dropped after 10 weeks. Um, they were, there was almost no grain left. And so keeping a better eye on that and making sure to to harvest each variety appropriately uh, so i think it's really going to take time and get getting more familiar with the varieties that we have and also you know hopefully having access or working on getting uh domestic sources so harvesting is sort of you know as far as my understanding it's sort of dependent on end use correct yeah it, it definitely is and you know i would say generally it could be anywhere from 80 days to 120 days uh, depending on what your your uses are but yeah of course uh you know if you're gonna if you're gonna use a variety and you want to harvest it for fiber you don't have to wait for it to go to seed but if you're if you want to get that grain harvest you're gonna you know it's gonna go a little longer and then of course for the cbd that's very critical and 
you're going to want to harvest that, you know, at, at, at specific times. And that's something that we're still learning and we don't quite know yet because we just haven't done it. Did you harvest anything that you that you grew in the past couple of years and, and what did you do with it? Yeah, so our fiber and dual purpose varieties, uh, we kind of just harvested it in the same way. Uh, we had limited access to the equipment um, available to us as well as local processing. And, and in the first year, they actually required that we destroy any product that came out of it wow. uh, uh, based on the permit. And then in year two, we did, we uh, mowed it. We used a sickle bar mower and we mowed it and we baled it. And we would have loved to do something with the bales. But of course, at that time, it was still federally listed in year two. And so we couldn't. And there were no processors in Pennsylvania for fiber. So at that time, we just composted our bales. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. They're, they're still not completely broken down. They're <laughs> quite, quite tough. Um, yeah. So this year, we're really hoping now with processors opening up in the state for fiber and decortication plants and having there's a hemp train coming in locally that will split it into the three products, uh, the fiber, the herd and the green microfiber. And so that's going to be really exciting to see that happen. And then also uh, working with some local people to get that grain harvested and maybe milled. Or uh, so are you measuring crop yield in biomass? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's something that we're going to continue to track. And obviously with only having hemp within our rotation once, we're going to, it's going to take time to be able to, you know, attribute that to, uh, to real numbers where, you know, not, it's not just by chance or, or the weather of that season. And so, but yes, we have been tracking that. But in terms of how that compares to others, it's hard to say. There's not a lot of published information out there about what's happening across the country in terms of yield and biomass for these exact cultivars because it, it's going to differ based on the cultivar you're growing and the end use you're growing it for and the spacing that you're growing it at. Um, you're going to see all types of different things. So really kind of streamlining uh, what that should look like dependent on how you're using it. Have you found Pennsylvania farmers interested in growing uh, any of these varieties and have they reached out to, to Rodale? Yeah, I'm getting phone calls all the time from farmers or from people who've never farmed a day in their life saying, hey, I really am interested in this hemp thing. I want to give it a shot. And it's anywhere from backyard gardeners to small vegetable farmers to hay farmers to large scale grain farmers. And and then also just your average person who just has interest in, in some in gardening. So, and I would say that I start by saying, hold up, <laughs> because, you know, some people are like, oh, well, I have an acre. Okay. You know, we can talk about that. And then there'll be people who are like, I have 200 acres and I'm going to grow it all to hemp. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you know about it? What is your experience? And because the different, but depending on your end use, the different products, they're so different in how you plant them and how you harvest them and, and what you have to do to process them. And so knowing what what your resources are now, what your experience is, it might help make that decision for you. And then ultimately, what is your end use goal to really be able to make a good decision as to how you're going to use hemp? Um, so that's usually how I go about those conversations, but there's definitely a ton of interest in it. Do you guys have any uh, opinion on what, you know, the most immediate um, marketable um, industrial varietals will be? I think, you know, is it is it the seed um, grain varieties? Is it the, you know, the fiber ones? What do you what do you think? What do you estimate? Yeah, I mean, I think immediately right now we already know CBD is ahead of the game. Um, I think we'll see some type of evening out there. 
Um, but, you know, again, it's dependent on your use. For us, we really want to be able to use those fiber varieties because of their ability to grow so tall. Um, however, processing is behind. And so that's going to be a thing is, is the limited processing that we have locally and, and the cost of that and, and the time scale and, and how that's going to look. Um, so that that's definitely of interest to us. And then, of course, there, I personally have a lot of interest in the dual varieties because what to me, what's so great about hemp? What's so great about hemp to me is that it has so many uses. And if you could try to get multiple uses out of one harvest, um, I think that would be really great. And so I definitely have interest in those because we have seen that they're growing almost as tall as the fiber varieties alone. And um, but then, you know, for some farmers, it might work out better and it, and it might be a more of a seamless process to go for a grain variety, depending on your ability to have access to some of these harvesting pieces of equipment, um, which we know is, is pretty tough with hemp. Um, you know, there's been stories where there's combines literally blowing up from trying to harvest hemp. And so figuring out uh, how that's going to work and um, there's some people out there doing it and they're they're modifying the equipment they already have. And of course, there's things on the market that you could purchase. Um, I, I think uh, that's not doable for a lot of people, um, including the Rodale Institute. But um, so, you know, I think it really is going to depend. I think grain, I think grain could be a great option for some people. I think fiber could be a great option for others. I think they're going to take almost equally as long to get to the point where it's going to be a seamless process based on processing and end product use. And so making sure that we get those connections and, and have all the pieces in place and making sure farmers have those connections and, you know, even having contracts signed with processors and things before they even put seed in the ground is going to be really important. So just making those connections and those relationships. Yeah. We've, we've heard that uh, it's almost, it's like one of those uh, hemp urban legends at this point, the, the combines lighting on fire. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what kind of combine is that? Is that just a normal corn combine and they're just setting the fork a little higher? Um, you know, does it have to be modified? Like, you know, I've heard that it's like the fiber wrapping around the, the bearings or, you know, is it just the farmer just trying to drive it at the same speed he would to collect corn? I mean, what what's the deal there? Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, so we tried it the first year with our regular combine, and it was it was mostly the stocks wrapping around it and really just burning it up. Um, and I mean, it, it's really it's it can be done with a normal combine, and people are doing it, but it's gonna require you know different teeth and and headers that are gonna be able to get up uh, way you know up high, and depending on your varieties. Like I said, our our seed variety got six feet tall. And so, you know, just figuring out uh, what you're going to be able to to get a hold of um, locally. And I mean, obviously, they're selling they're selling combines for hemp out there. Um, but of course, at this time, they're not really affordable for your average yeah, they're farmer. Exorbitantly expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And even those, there's still stories of them kind of uh, <laughs> not being able to handle the hemp with that because in the past you know like i said it, we know it was a, a major crop before that but at that point in time it was pretty much all hand manual based. yep yeah and we we obviously don't want that for the industry <laughs> yeah that's that's the unfortunate thing it seems like there's good recent knowledge on how to farm for cbd you know because they're grown very similarly to you know medical and adult use cannabis but the uh 
the fiber, the fiber varietals are, are, you know, there's really that, that full 80 year gap, um, that's, you know, pretty difficult to overcome at this point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Figuring out the technology we have now and how that fits into this historic model of growing and processing hemp. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. And, and obviously we can't expect to catch up on 80 years in, this is our third growing season. So, I mean, Everyone wants answers yesterday, especially because we're seeing that quick movement in the CBD industry. I think it's just we just got to be a little bit patient and 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 work with it and work on it. Is there anything that uh, surprised you in the last several years regarding hemp and and cultivation? The sometimes the interest surprises me. I mean, what is it about hemp uh, that is just has people going crazy? Like I said, I get calls from people who've never farmed a day in their life and they want to open a 200 acre hemp farm. What is it about hemp? I mean, we know it's awesome, right? We know that it can do make a lot of products, but at the end of the day, it's in, especially for us, it's, it's another crop and maybe it's because it's a new crop, right? We, we've been talking about corn and soybeans for so long and we're so sick of them. Maybe, maybe it's just cause it's something new and, and farmers want and need something new. Um, but it, I think it still surprises me sometimes the, the overwhelming interest from people of all walks of life that have this interest in hemp. And it, it, it's kind of interesting, though, and it's kind of great at the same time because you get all these people in a room together that would have never been in a room together. Um, so it's, it's really exciting, but uh, it's definitely surprising still at this point. Have you guys done any testing uh, as to what uh, hemp is pulling out of the ground in terms of like heavy metals or you know pesticides or, or anything like and that the phytoremediation stuff yeah we've definitely are always testing that stuff we at this time we don't have the results analyzed like i said we've only grown hemp in that rotation once and so uh we're repeating it again and then we'll have hemp in there on a, at the end of our rotation to kind of get a better idea of it but for now yes we are testing those things we're always testing the the physical, biological, and chemical soil at baseline, post-harvest, and every season following uh, to really track what's happening with the soil. And then also testing the plant tissue, looking at what is in the hemp product itself, in the leaves, in the grain. And so we'll definitely be doing a lot of that. Uh, we analyze all, I mean, over 50 different compounds and, and nutrients. And so our, your macros, your micros, your heavy metals, um, in, in, in multiple forms. So uh, example, in our nutrient management trial, one of the main things we're looking at is tracking nitrogen because we know that hemp requires a lot of nitrogen, but there's many forms of nitrogen and how that fits into the cycle um, and what's available for microbes, what's available for the plant, what the plant needs and what's in the end product. And are you testing different parts of the plant? Uh, like you said, are you testing the, the stalk, the herd, the leaves, um, the seed, the, the flower? Yeah. So, so yeah, at this point we've done total biomass, so leaves, stock, buds, and then we've done buds separately, um, as well as grain separately. Yeah. And, um, does Rodale perform that lab work themselves? Do you, do you, uh, outsource any of that? Yeah. So we do all of the processing here. We dry the samples in however way they need to be. We grind them. Uh, we sieve them, you know, to a certain fine powder size, whatever they need, whatever the labs need. And so we do send them out to industrial labs, um, you know, mostly for efficiency and cost because there's labs who are running thousands of these samples a day, uh, as well as having a third party. It prevents any potential for 
uh, accusation of bias. So we we send to you know the major university commercial labs like Cornell and Penn State. I would say we have anywhere we have about ten thousand samples a year that we're looking at at processing and sending out. So just the time to collect and process those. yeah, we to keep it moving, it's definitely worth it. I mean, those commercial labs, you send out, you send them out 500 samples and they'll have you the results within a couple of days. Wow. So, yeah. That's <laughs> so awesome. So to keep yeah. to keep to keep on time with that, it's definitely worth it for us to send them there and and obviously they have a great reputation and and all of their stuff is available publicly, so, you know, there's no hiding anything and and so we we feel pretty comfortable with that relationship. How how has this research benefited you and how do you expect it to benefit farmers going forward? We've seen success with incorporating industrial hemp into an organic grain rotation. And so that can mean a lot of different things for many farmers. It could just mean that it's another way to add another crop, to diversify your crop. We've seen positive results in helping with the physical soil measurements. Um, So helping break up compaction and reduce tillage. And uh, we know that there's a great potential to increase farmer income with this crop. It's just getting there on on the side of processing and end product use. So, um, and I think that, you know, overall, we're just, we're excited to bring a new crop to farmers, right? And then, but this could also mean something as a tool. So we're always working on helping people transition to organic. And so if we're seeing great results, having another crop, to to accomplish all of these things, um, you know, it could be a great way to help farmers transition from organic to conventional to help, you know, balance some of those costs or those losses in the first three years of transitioning from conventional to organic. And so hemp may be an option there to help farmers do that and to get more farmers, uh, you know, certified organic to improve the health of the soil, the farmland that exists now, um, and the planet. Um, any, any advice specifically for um, hemp farmers in Pennsylvania and, you know, elsewhere? Yeah. Um, obviously, our, our Penn and Riverdale Institute is always going to support, be to support organic regenerative uh, agriculture. Um, and, and, and that's not just us. It, it's been made very clear at other hemp conferences as well. Um, you know, I was presenting on regenerative organic agriculture at NOCO, Hemp Expo, a huge <laughs> hemp conference. Everyone from hemp is there. Um, and they had a whole day on organic and how important it's going to be to have hemp be certified organic, um, you know, at this time with the lack of regulation, as well as what we already know about hemp and how much it's pulling out of the soil, including pesticides, Um you know, having it grown organically, it's a goal. It's definitely a goal. And I think it should be a goal for all hemp farmers. And we're going to show you with our research that it's possible, it's profitable, and really it's going to look amazing. If you could imagine any product made out of hemp, what would it be? Is everything an answer? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm definitely super into the hemp houses. I mean, it just seems like an incredible option uh, you know, for as a building material. And that's something that's new based on the technology we have now um, that they weren't able to do 200 years ago the way we could do it now. So I think I think that could be really, really incredible um, to see more houses built out of hemp, um, as well as, you know, I'm a crazy cat lady, so I'm really interested in into the uh, using the herd more uh, 
more efficiently because the herd is often a wasted product in some aspects if you're harvesting the fiber or the grain. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of companies out there making animal bedding or things like cat litter. And so I think that could be really great because, I mean, look at look how much we spend on our pets. Yeah, I think it could be a great market. And I know I would definitely do that i already get my monthly shipments of fancy fancy cat litter so. <laughs> so have you tried it have you tried the cat litter yet i i have not i have not um i'm hoping that we'll be able to make some of that this year with the with the local hemp train coming into town yeah. well yeah thank you thank you very much tara it's been it's been wonderful speaking with you um you know you guys are awesome your neighbors and uh we love everything you're doing and the support that you've been giving to, to drew and anna here in their transition has been awesome you know for me to see i lived in the area my entire life and had heard about rodale but knew very little about it so it's really fun to get to know you guys better and to to really dive into what you're doing and you know, we're looking forward to, to keeping up with what you guys are doing with your research. And uh, and so how can people um, take advantage of, of what you guys are offering? Yeah, so we are always updating our information on all of our research projects on our website at rodaleinstitute.org. And so we try to be pretty good about getting at least, you know, basic web articles or blogs out there about what we're doing and data that we're collecting and preliminary results, as well as hopefully getting some uh, links to peer-reviewed articles that we'll get out there in the next couple of years uh, with, with the hard data. Um, but definitely following our website, following us on social media at the Rodale Institute, and uh, just keeping up with what we're doing. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Tara of the Rodale Institute. Please like, share, and subscribe to the Hemp Entrepreneur Podcast to hear about some of the pioneers in hemp research, like Rodale Institute. We are your weekly source for hemp industry enlightenment, and we look forward to hearing from entrepreneurs who are inspired by something they heard. And if you're listening and a hemp entrepreneur, please reach out and get in touch with us.